to Epps new episode of Fantasy Bookers. This is Ace coming to you first. I'm with Tony, Andy, Susie, and Marlon. And today we are going to be talking about the wild world of New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 Climax Tournament. As a brief introduction, the G1 Climax Tournament is a one-on-one turn- one on one match-style tournament where 20 wrestlers are separated into two blocks. At the end of the turn, every wrestler in each block will face off against each other. At the end, the two block winners will face off against each other. The winner wins the tournament, the trophy, and the right to challenge the IWGP Heavyweight Champion at the January 4th Tokyo Dome Show, which has been recently been, recently been promoted under the Wrestle Kingdom ba- banner. Traditionally, it is a tournament that takes place in August. This year, it's taking place from September 19th all the way till October 18th. Anyone have any questions about that? So easiest question I can ask is, so is this like a pro wrestling, like, sports season? You get a certain amount of points. You get, like, two points for a win, one point for a draw, and no points for a loss. So is this just, like, a straight-up season? Essentially. It's a small month-long, just the, essentially, yeah. The best description I can come up with it for not for like for Western fans is it is a very sports setup ver it's a sports setup version of WWE's Royal Rumble. Mm. Of them, it's the way they're going to help you to it's the way they're going to determine who put who's your who your big challenger is for your champion at the end of the at your big show. That's amazing. That sounds like what King of the Ring should be and isn't. Like, I'd love it if Vince would just straight up rip off G1 and bring back King of the Ring and just say it's my idea the whole time and just do the exact same shit, but if Raw and SmackDown. I, uh. I, I love tournaments, so I love just, like, the concept behind G1. Yeah. It, I'm, I love it. I, I'll, I'll admit, like, right now, up front, I slept on New Japan and I feel like an asshole for it. I watched it super sporadically. I had no idea what was going on. It's, I, I feel like I did myself a disservice. Even just watching this, I, yeah, we messed up. <laughs> and the, the G1 is also a good time, a good time each year to, it'll, it will, sh- like, by the end of the G1, you see exactly where everyone in the roster stands. Cause you, you'll know who's the lower card, who's the mid card, and who they see as their main eventers are. 
it's also Makes used sense. to help set up the storylines going through the next going through the next year because champions and whoever wins because the in new japan there's only one way to guarantee there's two ways to guarantee yourself title shots one is to win one of the tournaments that guarantees the title shots and the other is to pin the champion in a match so if somewhere during this tournament where no titles are on the line you pin the champion then you have the right to challenge them for their title that's so, the way it should be. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just makes sense. It's there's also potential you brought up King of WWE ceiling. This would be a good setup too for the May Young Classic. Oh yeah. Oh I think right. The the only downside I think that block competition would have in the in Western wrestling is the it is a lot of matches featuring just the same people over and over, and they're all supposed to be highly competitive matches and. With WWE's weekly television, I don't think they can do. They can't do that effect. But if yeah. they start using AEW's model of bringing in outside talent into your promotion, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. WWE's entire flaw is that they're very self-contained. They're trying to build their own universe by having three different brands of shows, but it doesn't. It doesn't quite jive the same way. I mean, watching a lot of the old New Japan stuff, you see people like MVP showing up, and yeah, Cody Rhodes and Carl Anderson. There's an international flavor to it to go with the Japanese wrestler and people from Mexico, Canada, all over the place. WWE, it's a bunch of the same faces, and then maybe a Japanese guy will show up every now and then. So I, this the, the G1 tournament in itself, by default, feels like a real thing. It feels like Wembley. It feels like freaking... I compared it to the U.S. Open. Yes, that. It's, it's a very, it's very spectacle but it's less chaotic. There's less like spectacle to it it's more it's an it's an intimate spectacle there that's a it, it's very streamlined because like going into the tournament they announce who all about usually about three weeks to a month before the tournament they will announce all of the participants and then a few days before the first night they will announce who was all, every member of the tournament every they'll announce uh every matchup and what days those matchups will participate will happen, and then outside of the final two days of the tournament, the final two day, the final days of block competition, they also announce their match cards in what order the matches will be on. That's really smart, so you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah, it also creates an atmosphere where people can tune in for the matches they want to see, and still have a way of knowing where it's going overall. Yeah. So I know that New Japan currently has a lot of factions and i know that they've kind of always had factions because i know that the very concept of the nwo was stolen from new japan way back when so considering when i look at like the participants i see that they're part of chaos or they're part of bullet club or they're part of some other group are there any like floating people that aren't part of a group and does that mean there tend to be like shenanigans and things in the actual matches the so how, yeah how with how new japan set up pretty much every <laughs> every heel is a part of a faction and the baby faces that are not part of a faction are part of what new japan refers to as new japan hantai or home team and outside of bullet club 
there is usually no interference or wacky stuff happening because Bullet Club is the Bullet Club is that type of heel faction where they've from since their inception they've been that more Western style of heel faction where they involve themselves in other people's matches. So because normally, because j- normally if in Japanese wrestling having someone interfere in your matches is seen as like you are not man enough to be able to fight. You're not man enough to fight this match by yourself. Well, that's, that's definitely how it should be seen. Yeah. I'm just uh, wondering why is that that prevalent in Japanese culture compared to American. Like the moment the moment you bring in American wrestlers, it's like a lot of the same tropes get brought in as well. And I saw that with like Bullet Club and even Chris Jericho. They just brought the same American attitudes there. I think Japan kind of digs it. I feel like they like the controversy that comes with American wrestlers. There's a whole new attitude and favor that they do bring in. It's that international favor that I brought in before. Like here's something different. You're used to seeing Japanese stuff here. Here's what the Canadians do. Here's what the Americans do. I think it's just a matter of cultural difference for the most part. Um, You know, it's very much in line of the different expectations and personal responsibility you see between Japan and the U.S. Not that either is better, but there definitely is a much more dire sense of personal responsibility in Japan, especially post-World War II. Also, I think it comes down to New Japan has has a very sports-like presentation, and if someone cheats in sports, they get their, their, there are consequences for that. And you don't like, I, if I'm watching a football game, I don't want to see like the practice squad for one team just start running onto the field and messing up the football game. I absolutely want to see that. And (laughs) (laughs) that is a missed opportunity at the XFL right there. I will say you might get lucky. The rock might do that. I will say the Jaguars doing here. With with how detested Bullet Club was when it first formed, and how often they were getting involved in their in each other's matches, the complaint department the complaint department of New Japan was getting so many complaints that they had to set up a separate hotline that was only for fans to call in to complain about Bullet Club. <laughs> that is beautiful. I I have a love hate relationship with Western wrestling shenanigans invading Japanese wrestling on one hand yeah it's fun and it's cool and it's hey you know shenanigans don't always happen because we have honor and dignity and pride and I can relate to that I am very prideful I don't want your help don't help me I'll die before I let you help me but the other end of that is why why do they feel the need to go somewhere else to do something different and then bring the same stuff like if you're here to do something different if you're here in japan because whatever the fuck is happening with the organizations in the united states look at you wwe and you go to japan to like go all right well fuck that company i'm gonna go do something else but if you're doing the exact same stuff what the hell is the point i think it's not to showcase themselves yeah, yeah. I, I think because because before Bullet Club, there was nothing like this in Japan where they were getting this involved and they were interrupting and getting this involved. So it became something new in Japan that people weren't seeing. So, oh, that, it's, it's, it. yeah. it's, the, it's the first time effect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, makes, and now, that makes sense. Yeah. And now, th- and because that is now this, that is what Bullet Club is. That's why it has stayed. Yep. Some but, Japan had their own DX. So that makes sense. Okay. That's that's a lot of book club merch. It's because I'm of the I, I travel a lot and I'm of the mindset that when you're somewhere that's not your home, you behave the way the people that live there behave. 
But it's also a creative program. And one of the things of the creative program is saying, how do you innovate? And yeah. it, it may be a bit of a crutch. I mean, I'll let people make that argument if they want to. I won't. But taking something that is anathema to that society, but you have good experience with, is innovating in its own right. And also, with of the four original members of Bullet Club, you had Machine Gun Carl Anderson, Prince Devitt, Tomatonga, and Bad Luck Fale. Machine Gun Carl Anderson was the only American from that. And I think the other three were also essentially in some way or form brought up through New Japan's dojo system. So they were only part of, they were really only a part of New Japan before they got, before they were big. So they were more like a team of guy gyms. Yeah. Here's all the foreigners coming together to kick ass and to spin on our culture. And that's great as a heel move. That's essentially what people like the Iron Sheik did in the WWE in the early 80s. Yeah, it was like, I love the Iron your country. Yeah, he's still great. He's still freaking hilarious. So it's essentially, a... Carl Anderson is Japanese Nikolai Volkov. If Finn Balor is Japanese Iron Sheik. Let's, yeah, kind of. Um, so Ace, if I could ask you a question then. Yep. Do you think, I think we can understand ourselves why Americans like what we do about New Japan. But do you think that there's a sense of parodying uh, the American culture with that on the Japanese viewpoint? I think a little bit of Bullet Club, yeah. they Bullet Club to the Japanese it represents what wrestling is outside of Japan, mm-hmm. in my view. Which, again, yeah. I've never been. I've, I've I've never been to Japan. I've never so I can't. And the people I've talked to that have, that have been from that are from Japan are not were not wrestling fans. So they could. So they had they had no insight to give me. All right, <laughs> fantasy bookers goes to Japan. That on the docket for like twenty twenty five. I mean, I go every year except for the year of this our Lord's COVID. But so y'all welcome <laughs> to come with. I, I would love to go to a Wrestle Kingdom show or a Tokyo Dome show one year. Marlin you can come with me and we'll go. I only have one requirement that we also go to a robot show. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so so- I, and I don't even review wrestling in Japan. Just review the vacation. Like, it's hot. It's muggy. <laughs> I like my hotel room. It's- all the snacks. I'm just going to eat all the snacks. I'm going to come back from Japan 25 pounds heavier. I just visit the house in Batter State. And what was he like? <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> we went to Japan to review. To, we went to Japan, and now we're gonna come back and we're gonna review sumo wrestling rather than pro wrestling. That's actually kind of brilliant. As long as the episode doesn't end with "We went to Japan and we're not coming back." <laughs> <laughs> we went to Japan, and surprise, we all got accepted to to, to train in the new Japan dojo somehow. So <laughs> we're gonna be stars now. Goodbye. <laughs> We are, we'd have to change our name from fantasy bookers to just straight up like, I don't even know what, but we'd have to get rid of fantasy at that point. <laughs> so to get us back on track slightly here, are there any weaknesses to New Japan's booking model, Ace, that you see that kind of frustrate you with seeing them? I think that every single promotion has certain like tells that it has, but... I'm not sure what New Japan is, and I imagine that since you've seen a lot more of it, that you can give us some insight into, like, if you watch a lot of New Japan, what do you get tired of? The biggest booking flaw, at least especially of the G1, is coming out of, like, there will never be an underdog that wins the G1. Going into the G1, you can always you can always take about half the field out as they're they are not going to win. 
they are just there to have they are there to have good matches and be bodies. Which that's unfortunate. Yeah, but I mean there are some there are some people <laughs> like especially once you start to look at records and like New Japan also when they when they announce who's in their tournament, they will announce they announce the name, how many times they have entered, how many times consecutively they have entered, and if they have and if if they cannot announce that they announce how long it has been since somebody has been in there. I will say this about them. Uh, that that does add a bit of... I, I do enjoy that predictability because that it makes sense with the stats. You could say this person has won this many times. They're this strong. They're this powerful. That's why they win. It's not the same as the Royal Rumble when we have an expectant winner, when it's supposed to be random, and then someone like Roman Reigns wins, and it's like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but at the same time, bringing sports into it, it's kind of like when you got into the years like two or three years back if you watch football or even slightly pay attention to football it's like oh well the patriots will be like in the championship game if not the super bowl so what's even the point at this point since everyone except bostoners hates the patriots yeah and take that back they're wicked awesome no no this year is not a normal year one one the tournament takes place taking place in September and October rather than August, which it would have done that even if, even without COVID, because of the Olympics in Japan, they were they had moved the G one back this far anyway. But they aren't able to usually when you see who's in the tournament, they they do take in they do seemingly take into account like all right who's who's worthy of being in the tournament this year and. But this year's lineup, the only two that stick out as not being worthy of being in the tournament are Yujiro Takahashi and Yoshihashi. And I believe they are just there because New Japan could not get anybody in that would help fill that would fill those slots that would be better be better in that spot in those spots. So Ace, um I actually have a couple of opinion questions for you if I could. All right. Um I'll start with the lighthearted one before I get on my typical soapbox about safety, but uh <laughs> start with how does the g1 typically handle comedy matches i know those tend to be a little bit more you know a little bit not more rare but different in japanese wrestling than they are in american wrestling so i wasn't sure do those have a presence and if so how is that they do in the form of toru yano is in the head this is his 15th tournament 14th time consecutively that he's been in the tournament he is in my opinion the greatest comedy wrestler in the world because he doesn't ever repeat while he has very, he has simple, he does simple comedy finishes, but they're not, but he doesn't seem to repeat them that often. Okay. And the way they have framed it is that Yano is still a competent wrestler without resorting to comedy, but he wins in the form of like, he'll take, he'll, t- he tries to sneak, he tries to sneak rolls of tape in his tights so that the referee doesn't see them. So that he can get his opponent outside of the ring and tape them to the to the railing, so they can't make it back into the <laughs> ring in time. <laughs> the magical tape. I didn't have it. Tape uh, himself. Like, like he'll he'll hide it like behind his knee pads. He'll hide it in his. He'll hide it in the waistband. And like there'll be times he'll hide like he'll hide two rolls, and the refs will find those two rolls. And then later in the match, his opponent's wrestling him and feels something weird in like the waistband of his tights and points and has the referee go look at it. And the ref pulls a third pair, a third roll of tape out of his tights. <laughs> he, Toriyano, was involved in my favorite match finish ever 
when he lost a match earlier this year because he was trying to tape his opponent to one of the trainee wrestlers at ringside and so they couldn't make the count. The wrestler then attacked him, taped up his hands, tape, put tape around his eyes, threw him into a nearby elevator at the venue, sent the elevator down to the first floor, and then ran back to the ring. That's that was great. the most amazing thing to imagine. <laughs> that, that's I, a real. I love. I I love like the sound of that. It sounds so much better than the bullshit shenanigans that companies like WWE do. Yeah. I I like. I I love good goofy. Like if you're bad goofy, like the fucking twenty four seven title. And hey, I love that title. I I love it too. But they delegitimized it once they put it on Ron Gronkowski. Like, is there know, anything that can be called a legitimate wrestling title? I, <laughs> you just said Roman Reigns into an existential spin right now. <laughs> Looking at his belt like, does this even mean anything? Is this real? What is real? What last? But it's, I like Goofy when Goofy is done right. I I love a good laugh. I love comedy. I love comedy wrestling. Doink the Clown was one of my favorites as a kid because he was goofy. I thought it was terrifying. I loved Do- Kendra was afraid of him too, but I, I loved, liked him. I loved Doink the Clown. He was one of my favorites, and my dad laughed at me for it because he goes, "That's not that's not funny." He goes, "Wrestling's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be serious." I think my dad still thinks wrestling is real. So your um, dad never saw Doink anger Bruce Hart. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> the dastardly clown. See, Tony, I told you those people still exist. They they it's do. Fam. My dad is such a mark. You know who my dad's favorite wrestler is right now? Roman Reigns. You know who he was before Roman Reigns? John Cena. <laughs> he just didn't like Doink because Doink was out there making kids cry, bruh. He was. I was so, one of those kids. So to kind of follow up on that that first question, Tony, um, before I say so my second question, I have a, one for you, which is Seeing that kind of institutionalization of the comedy matches, does that uh, change your viewpoint on the sports view of it? Or what are your thoughts? There? No, I've seen some of the comedy matches from New Japan. I saw, I've seen two matches that Yano had with Colt Cabana where they're both very accomplished comedy wrestlers and they are easily the funniest matches I've ever seen. I'm trying to remember, is that the one with like, what was it, the book? Uh, the DVDs. The DVDs, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, that was great. Yano's always trying to sell his DVDs to people at ringside. And I, again, I think the reason New Japan is able to be successful with it is they have never, like, while, while Toro Yano is funny, they have never treated him like a joke. They always treat him as a, as a legitimate wrestler who, because before he became the comedy wrestler, he was essentially a deathmatch wrestler. And they, they did a feud a few years ago between him and Monoro Suzuki where he stopped being goofy during that feud and went back to and went back to being this violent wrestler because that's what he had to do to fight to be able to match Suzuki. And that is definitely a good transition. So um I the uh the YouTuber Super Eye Patch Wolf has had quite a few like very long looks at pro wrestling and he did one where he was looking at the art of being a heel. And he had this big, long thing on Minoru Suzuki and said that Minoru Suzuki is one of the pro wrestling heels that I truly am afraid of. 
Are you afraid of Minoru Suzuki and why? Yes, I am. He has murder grandpa. <laughs> and isn't, that, isn't that one of the characters on JoJo? Uh, he he is murder grandpa. He is also a One Piece character. He legitimately there's a character themed after him in One Piece. He has gone. He has he has posted and done interviews talking about his love of One Piece. But Minoru Suzuki is also in the early days of MMA, where like the one of the first MMA promotions was Pancrase, and he was Pancrase's like first champion. Ken Shamrock, who is a very accomplished mixed martial artist, has praised Minoru Suzuki and said that the only thing stopping Minoru Suzuki from going down as one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time was that he lacked a striking game to mat- that matched his grappling game. He has this look in his face every time he comes to the ring of, I am going to murder you unless you, unless you move heaven and earth to stop me. It's presence. It's the it's it's something I noticed in New Japan. It's something that a lot of wrestlers in places like AEW and WWE they don't have. It's just this general presence. Randy Orton has it. It I'm going to kill you. Period. I, I, you can see it on my face. You can read it in my body language. You don't have to wonder what I'm thinking because I show it. And I don't need a funny costume to do it. No, I'm just here in my drawers, abs out, ready to fucking slaughter you like a pig. It's it's fantastic. It's what's lacking in Western wrestling, I feel, is a lot of people just kind of show up and they think a big spectacle entrance is going to make them intimidating. No, your entrance doesn't make you intimidating. You make you intimidating. And if you're not intimidating, it's because you fail at having that presence. I noticed that Japanese wrestlers have been forced to do that. There was a time when it was just black tights and trunks. And then your personality had come out in your wrestling style, in your body language, and you yourself. And I feel like that still carries on in today's wrestling. They just get to be more flashy along with it. A little bit that dates back to Antonio Inoki, like he the founder of New Japan, and the thought process that is called Inokiism of not only do you need to be the bet that not only do are his the New Japan New Japan wrestlers the best pro wrestlers, they were also supposed to be the best fighters outside of New Japan, and that led to the dark times for New Japan that you don't need to get into that that could be its an entirely new topic for a different episode. So, kind of question there then is, do you think, Ace, in your opinion, is there an inherent difference between how they sell intimidation in Japanese wrestling versus U.S. wrestling? To maybe use a simple example, you know, we see a lot in uh, AEW where people cut to show damage from the other opponent. Whereas you mentioned just with this example, it was ring presence alone. Yes, because New Japan is... New Japan is all about showing and not telling. They don't need to tell me. They they do not tell you that, hey, this guy is a monster and this guy is out here to hurt people. They they let Minoru Suzuki walk to the ring and assault assault one of the trainee wrestlers for a bit before he gets in the ring and then proceeds to proceed. He's not Minoru Suzuki's not there for a he's not there for a wrestling match. He is there for a fight. And they have they do that with a lot of other wrestlers. Tomohiro Ishii, who is a man, he's called the Stone Pitbull, and that may be one of the most apt names I have heard of a wrestler in a while, because he's out there to fight. 
and you have all of these wrestlers that they're not here to wrestle matches and have fun. They're here to fight. So do you think that Western wrestling could benefit from that? Or is it just too different in how the approach is overall? I think it could work. I think you can ha- easily have a wrestler that comes out and his only like he's coming out just to do his job and go home. Like he's not there to entertain. He's not there to try. He's not there to to put on fancy matches for people. He's there to fight somebody. NXT but, has been really good of, pu- of pulling that off. I think yeah. Triple H is trying to bring that same energy to the U.S., which brings credence to the whole NXT Japan one day being a thing. I, I could see that with guys like Kofi Thatcher. I see it with guys like Oni Larkin. He's trying to create or at least bring in characters who they don't need mic time. You put them in the ring, they tell the story with their bodies. And there's something very old school and very Japanese about that that I first saw in Finn Balor, and I'm seeing being cranked out left and right. Whatever CM Punk was for dudes like Daniel Bryan and the ROH crowd and the indie crowd, Finn Balor is for dudes like Oni Larkin and and Thatcher and dudes that are just old school. Here's my presence. I will beat the holy crap out of you. I'm going to slap the crap out of your chest. Fighting me is going to hurt. And I want to, I can't wait to see dudes like that more on the main roster. The only problem I think I've seen for it on the main roster is they tried something similar to that with Alistair Black earlier this year, where he was just looking for someone to pick a fight with him. And they just don't, I don't, I don't think main roster WWE can handle that type of storytelling. Alistair Black, Alistair Black get, getting a call up was one of the worst things that happened to him. I, yeah. he, he needs to go back to NXT and get the Finn Balor treatment. Like, you forgot who I was because they forgot who I was. No, I'm back, and I'm going to kill all of you. How dare you insinuate Triple, or that you insinuate Vince McMahon's story for him is not the best one. (laughs) Again, I think that comes down to it's the difference between New Japan, as I said, they are show, not tell, and WWE is tell tell more than show. It's something I possibly never show. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I feel like it's I feel like it's something I find it that Japan and NXT have in common. Watching Japan, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW, they they make better use of their time in Japan and NXT. It's like here's your match. We're going to tell the story in the match and then move on. And then you watch something like AEW. It's here's a match. No real story here. Just here's a match. And then WWE, it's our story, 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 and some matches in between. Here's some story. NXT in Japan, they have that nice balance where I'm watching the match. Their announcers will tell me what's going on. Their wrestlers will tell me who to cheer for. It'll be on there on the screen. You don't have to have a character come out and talk for 20 minutes to tell me who the bad guy is. Or worse, just have a wrestling match with no bad guy or a good guy or two bad guys and two good guys. So I like I like heel versus heel matches. I think they're a lot of fun. I think I think it is the balance. That's the secret. Because AEW doesn't have really any promo work except from anybody besides like John Moxley, it feels like. And their in-ring storytelling suffers because of it. Whereas WWE, they're all storytelling and not story showing. No, New Japan, whatever the balance is, if they're not perfect at it, they're the closest. Well, and actually, Susie, that leads me to the question I was going to ask the group, kind of a group opinion question here, is that 
we, we've said a lot, uh, WWE can't do this, but is Brock Lesnar and how he's been portrayed actually a good example of ring presence only? I mean, he's not exactly charismatic at the mic. He isn't making a lot of appearances. And most people reason for fighting him is because he's Brock Lesnar, not because of a personal feud. That's it exactly. Brock Lesnar and Goldberg both have that in common. We don't need to see them put on a wrestling clinics. Brock Lesnar could do the same German suplex for 15 minutes straight, bloody the dude he's fighting, and that counts as a match. And for me personally, counts as the greatest match of the year. Sometimes it's just about telling the story in the ring and not how many 50 dudes you could do. Goldberg niggling Brock Lesnar in like three minutes, that told a great story. And it's all because you believe these characters, you believe these massive men are who they say they're going to be. It's that more showing, less telling thing, again, that's very prevalent in old school wrestling. I Brock Lesnar gets the edge because Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman is one of, if not the greatest managers to ever happen to professional wrestling as a whole. He, I think Paul Heyman's a genius. I, I am a, a boost. He's a promo machine. I am a Paul Heyman guy. I, I envy Roman Reigns so much right now. Like I wish that wherever I went, I had Paul Heyman there to announce my presence. The level Marlon. of extra. <laughs> you see, while I agree um, that Paul Heyman helps uh, helps Brock Lesnar as a wrestler because then Brock Lesnar doesn't need to cut terrible promos. That's at, a real feeling. At the same time, it very much feels like Paul Heyman is there to make Vince McMahon understand how much he has with a Brock Lesnar type. Because... Vince McMahon and WWE in general seems to want all of their wrestlers to be a brand. That's why they say the demon Finn Balor. It's why they always put this moniker on it because they want to trademark it and they want everything to be with WWE nomenclature. I think if you just had uh, Brock Lesnar doing the Goldberg thing and just coming out silently beating people up and leaving or even Goldberg for longer than, say, a few a few weeks, come in and do the Goldberg thing where he just comes in and doesn't really cut any promos, I don't think Vince McMahon would see the, the profitability there because he wouldn't be able to view them in that sellable format that Vince McMahon thinks every single wrestler needs to have. I'd like to offer a counterpoint. That Paul Heyman is secretly the big, big bad evil guy of WWE, and one day we're going to find out he just has a stable of wrestling henchmen he unleashes to fight Vince McMahon for ownership. Yeah, like some kind of ECW invasion almost. I'd watch that. I'd watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so how do how do the rest, how do the Westerners do in the in the G one? Um, I, I'm looking at night one's lineup. I still haven't watched the watched the night one A block yet, and I see Will Ospreay, Jeff Cobb, and Jay White. Are there any Westerners that are like in say these are the three people that are more than likely going to win the G1, or are they always kind of an afterthought unless your name is Kenny Omega? Um, I think that that dep- really depends on the year. This year, I think yeah, there there are like there are two two big names that strike out of Will Ospreay and and Jay White that could have that could easily have monster years in this tournament, or they they could even win the tournament. Traditionally, there's only been 
there's only been, I think, one non-Japanese winner of the G1, and that was Kenny Omega a couple years ago. To but uh, to say how well Westerners do on a year-to-year basis is is really difficult because because it is just it it depends on the year and where they're situated every where they're situated that year. So it's so, it's so it, the- it all depends. It's not just so much the year as it is the caliber of the talent. Like, yeah. all right, who do we have this year? If you have somebody like Kenny Omega, like say Chris Jericho or Finn Balor then all right cool you know that's really that's really cool if you have somebody that nobody really knows or cares about and then they have say an a minus b plus match they're not really gonna nobody's really gonna care yeah i I feel like that's what wrestling boils down to though it's wwe does it with their wrestlemania at the end of the year it's who has made the most noise in the past year who has the most presence who can we make the most money off of? And bam, that's your final person. That's the most controversial, whatever. I, it's also a good opportunity to bring up like fan favorites, I would think. Like if someone's like low on the totem pole, but people love them, this is a good opportunity to put them over, maybe put them in a match of someone big they wouldn't normally face and put on a clinic and see how they do and win or lose, maybe build that person up. I, yeah. it's, I, st- I still say that King of the Ring should be brought back by the WWE. I'm a fan of tournament situations like this because of that. You have matches you wouldn't normally see while the main event tends to be the same five or so people being cycled through one another. Why not have someone from NXT come in every now and then so you have your World Rumble moment like, oh my god, it's Brock Lesnar and Keith Lee. Still waiting for that. More situations like that where you're on another show, but here's the one opportunity we will get to see you face off. Yeah. Or you, you're in another freaking weight class. Here's a one opportunity we will see. Here's Ray Mysterio versus Kevin Nash over again, except, you know, he didn't ruin his WCW career. In normal, uh, in normal years, there's usually at least one or two outsiders that, like, they aren't full-time New Japan wrestlers that are in the tournament. And usually, while they, usually they have, like, well, they don't lose every match, they're still made to look strong. They aren't ever put in the top position. Like, last year... Uh, John Moxley was in the G1. He ended up with a record of four and five, but he won like mat- like he won the matches he needed to win and lost matches he could stand to lose, and did just enough for himself to set himself up as like he's he's still a force, but you know that he's a he's a level below like he's a level below Okada and and Ibushi and and Naito. So again, it's more year to year to figure out where the what happens with the with Gaijin. Okay, is there anyone in the tournament who you are like always super into? Absolutely every single match they have. Is there anyone who you well you mentioned the two that you truly don't really understand why they're there? But why no mention of Juice Robinson because. Every Western pundit that covers New Japan that I have listened to hates Juice Robinson. A lot of fans that I've talked to that have watched New Japan don't really like Juice Robinson. For the people who don't understand who Juice Robinson is, he's the former CJ Parker from NXT. So why is Juice Robinson? (laughs) The only thing I can think of as to why Juice Robinson is... is Okay, I I found Google. (laughs) <laughs> why he is as prominently placed as he is 
is because when he left NXT and he went to New Japan, he went in as a young lion and went through their dojo system and was willing to do everything they asked for him to do so he could just get that training from the ground up from them. He's also, like, you watch, can't, you can't tell by the shows that are, the, the quarantine shows, because the, the fans aren't allowed to, they're not allowed to, like, shout out and cheer. That's the biggest thing for watching this year's G1 so far, is the fans are not allowed to audibly cheer, and they follow, and since they are a good country, and they follow the rules that their government, has, that their government and experts have provided, <laughs> they they do not audibly cheer which does rob you of the best part of Minoru Suzuki's entrance because he has the most anim- one of the most anime themes ever called Kaze Ninare and when it gets to that line usually the entire the entire arena just screams that line as loud as they can and it is one of the most awesome things ever to watch Juice Robinson looks like Elias and Seth Rollins had a baby, and he's scary looking. This is a terrifying white dude. He looks like the kind of person that would like punch a pregnant lady in the face because. But wow. he's positioned as a face. He is known as his his epitaph because that's another thing that New Japan does is they give almost all of their wrestlers epitaphs. He is the flamboyant Juice Robinson. Not is that it looks like he got dressed in the dark at a Spencer's. <laughs> I will say a couple years ago he started wearing a look where he looked like like some sort of rate like some sort of like nineteen like eighteen hundreds rave patriot. That's what I'm oh, looking at right I now. I actually have the picture of it right now. I'll post that into our chat. What's a gray jacket but... and a top hat? Because <laughs> he looks like an amazing couch. But. Uh, and I, so Juice Robinson made like him as over as he is. It may just be a cultural thing. Yeah, he looks like he's trying to just be as loud as possible, and it's getting him attention, and it is working because that is not a dude you can't ignore. And in the wrestling world, it does not pay to be quiet, and it is the loudest dude I've ever seen just based on aesthetic alone. I have no idea what his voice sounds like, but I feel like it's just as excruciating. You obviously didn't yeah. watch him as C.J. Parker in NXT, where. He was just annoying, annoying, environmentally friendly face. He was the, he was the pre Daniel Bryan. Ooh, I'm I'm miss, gonna, I, I miss that. <laughs> I can I also post another picture, and I've never watched this man wrestle in my life, but now I want to based solely on this picture of him and Kenny Omega. Oh, since since those pictures, he has shaved his dreads off. Did he keep the jacket? No, please say yes. every every few months he decides he needs to completely change up what his what his look looks like before the G uh, I won't spoil what he looks like in the G one this year, but before this, he had a hat, like he had a hat with them, like multicolored fuzzballs, like hot glued to the top of it. And he kind of looked like a gumball machine. Oh yeah. I see that. Yeah. This dude was there ages ago. The last time he was on NXT, Xavier Woods was on NXT. Uh, he, uh, I he, got, he has gotten a whole lot better in ring since those times, since his time in NXT, which I think is, just, it was just because again he went back to Japan. He went to Japan and put himself into put himself through the new Japan, new Japan dojo and became one of their young lions. So, um, actually, to bring it down a little bit, does New Japan have a women's division, or are they all in like Stardom and DDT? They no, New Japan does not have a women's division, but New Japan is owned by Bushiroad, and Bushiroad owns Stardom. 
Okay, so they they don't have <laughs> they don't have a women's division. They have a women's promotion. Is basically what it comes yes. down to. <laughs> yes, and last last year this the the most recent Wrestle Kingdom show featured a Stardom match on the on the pre-show or under on the I don't know if they I don't remember if they showed it on on the broadcast on New Japan World or not, but it was not part of the main show. Kind of love the idea of an all women's promotion. It's I, it's kind of refreshing a little bit. Yeah, there's the issue of you know gender segregation that people bring up, but me personally, I'm fine with it. In all women's because when you have an all women's promotion, then it's you have a women's tag team division, a woman's mid card, a woman's quote unquote heavyweight division for the main title. It's and there's a lot of potential there. There's so much potential there. And that's really, really exciting. You then also don't have to worry about on big cards, the women's matches becoming afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. They, they are, they're separate. They, they have their own spot. Like they're, they're not yeah, I'm trying to think the best way for me to say this. Like you don't have to worry about them being compared to men, like the men's matches. And like, cause the, the one of the big problems that people have that you have in American wrestling, Western wrestling, is that the women's matches are half the length and don't get the they don't get the same shine that men's ma- that the men's matches do? They get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. So do you well, think Wrestle Kingdom, especially since Wrestle Kingdom is like two nights now, do you think Stardom should actually play a more prominent role in like the Wrestle Kingdom card, or do you think it's fine as it is because? Stardom has its own pay-per-views anyway, and even though they might not have like the pure clout of Wrestle Kingdom in the Tokyo Dome, they just have all their own stuff anyway, so they're fine. I I think since it's since they're keeping the brand separate, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a if we see a match or two like on the uh, on the undercard or as a pre-show match. But I think Stardom also uh, also runs its own D- Tokyo Dome shows at some point in the year, and they. Oh, my- so they run the they like Stardom runs most of the same venues that New Japan will run, and if and if the rumors are to be believed, New Japan is trying to build their own stadium in in Tokyo. That's really cool. I I like to see since the the Tokyo Dome shows and Wrestle Kingdom and the G One tournament since they are like their SummerSlam, their WrestleMania. I would like to see some cross promotion. Where like the women's title from Stardom is defended on that stage in that spectacle, that's really cool. Cause yeah, they have their own pay per views, but being included in the big events as like a co promotion kind of thing, that opens up a lot of doors for not just women's wrestling in Japan, but women's wrestling. Period. It's Women's wrestling has always kind of been an afterthought, no matter where you are or what country you're in or what promotion you're in. Women's wrestling has always been trashy, gimmicky, designed for male fans. And to see women's wrestling being taken more seriously, it's really cool. And I'm enjoying it a whole lot. And I would like to see kind of like, hey, here's like the biggest women's title in Japan and they're you know, the main event main event, or the match before the main event for the title. One thing I'd say there, Susie, is even men's wrestling is designed for male fans. 
<laughs> well, yeah, but you would think that like women's wrestling, they would go, oh, you know, maybe women like wrestling. I, like it's like we're a fucking novelty act. Women's wrestling. Women's That's, wrestling. At fans. least for WWE, you know, at least for WWE, do you really think that Vince thinks that women or quote unquote the ethnics are real audiences? I feel like that's the it, issue, though. In, the, it, in, West, in Western culture, we tried evolution, and then the, were the ratings, crap, either the ratings or the turnout or both. It's that women's wrestling is good, but for some reason, people will still just kind of tune it out for this very idea of it being women's wrestling, which is why I like the idea of it being integrated into the main show and main eventing events like WrestleMania than being a separate thing, because as a separate thing, it can be ignored, and I don't like the idea of women's wrestling being ignored. I, I how do you that. how do you think I feel? <laughs> yeah, you don't like it. I I I am the target audience for women's wrestling. At least I should be. Not me specifically, <laughs> but me and my people. You know, my my gender. And it, you would think that there would be at least like a smidgen of consideration for what we want to watch. There is no wrestling promotion right now anywhere in the world that gives a fuck about women the way we're asking to be given a fuck about can you say that about the uh, the japan one though if you've never watched their stuff that's fair yeah but... either way we need to watch a stardom show and give a fun review of it also yeah, i think that should Star- go on the list of episodes i'll say stardom I... has some of the coolest championship names i have seen the World of Stardom Championship, Wonder of Stardom Championship, Artist of Stardom Championship, Goddess of Stardom Championship, High Speed Championship, and Future of Stardom Championship. It's hard to be the High Speed Champion because the belt is so fast. <laughs> Verizon presents Fios High Speed Champion. But I mean, but to a very real point there is, I think if nothing else, what I'm taking away from this episode and, you know, kind of picking Ace's brain on New Japan is the expectations for what Western wrestling is don't align at all with what we can expect out of Eastern wrestling. And I think that we need to be able to take a look at that with a fresh perspective and really understand what is the strength of that and how many of there are preconceived notions about what wrestling is and can be are very much focused on what we've been exposed to so far. Um, I agree. I think I'm so full. I'm no, I puppy interrupted my thoughts, and now all I can think is, Oh, it's all that's rolling around in my brain now. Um, Sorry for any listeners. My new puppy is only uh eight weeks old today, and she is cuddly and whiny and so cute. So cute. I am not a dog person, but everybody in this group that has dogs, the dogs are adorable, most adorable. Most adorable dog. Women's wrestling is an afterthought, but I think I think there is there is a lot of potential in Japanese wrestling. There's a reason that places like AEW, like WWE, like even NXT, all of their big talent, a lot of it is Japanese wrestlers. Look at Asuka, look at Io Shirai, look at Hikaru Shida. Look at all the talent they brought over from Japan. It's, I mean, it's, you, if you take Io Shirai away from the NXT women's division, it would be a detriment. Same with Asuka in the women's division on, on Raw. I don't think anyone here would disagree with you, but I think that just emphasizes the point that 
the American wrestling promotions don't understand how to do women's divisions correctly. That that is true. So with that in mind, and looking for our next Oscar and our next Io Shirai, where would we find them? Does Japan have their own version of a women's G1? You would find them in Stardom. Yes. <laughs> stardom, is, stardom is where Io Shirai, where Kyrie Sane, where Asuka, they, where they came from. And it like it does according to the Wikipedia page, Stardom has their four their four big tournaments every year. They have right. the five star Grand Prix, which which is which seemingly is their is their G one. That sounds prestigious as crap. Uh, All these things j- sound like amazing races, like Formula One races, so they must be prestigious. They sound European and foreign. Uh Japan like I will say Japan tournaments <laughs> like all Japan Pro Wrestling, their big tournament of the year is called the Champion Carnival. <laughs> is it Champion Carnival? Yeah, the Champion that's Carnival. That's I'm just imagining like all the best uh, wrestlers like all on a Ferris wheel together having a good time. <laughs> I I imagine like funnel cakes and like everybody losing the carny games. I imagine that WrestleMania Louisiana theme, but it's just like champions going down the street. But I'd like and to just say if that was what it was, I'd still watch it. And then Pro Wrestling Zero One has a tournament that dates back to 2001. Its name is Himasuri, which translates to Fire Festival. <laughs> oh no, it's poor wrestler. So They're Burning Man. So his name is Burning Man. <laughs> the wrestler told- less of the drug fairies. The, the winner is presented with the fire sword, which they then carry around until the next festival. Okay, why don't we have that in America? More fire swords, man. So if you are if you're a new fan or you're gaining into wrestling or you know someone getting into wrestling and you want to put New Japan in front of them for whatever reason, is the best thing to do in order to like get them into into New Japan storylines. Is it just to say, hey, here's the start of the G1? Let's just watch it from here on out, kind of like starting with a WrestleMania or something like that. Yeah, I think so. It gets you, it introduces you to who all the main, who all the major wrestlers are, because you see them wrestle nine times throughout the turn. You see them wrestle nine times throughout the tournament in singles matches. You get a feel for who they are in the ring and how they wrestle, and then it's also how they establish the stories they're going to tell for the next couple months. And also generally has the best matches of the year. And are there any matches from the current night one since it was just yesterday evening slash this morning? Um, are there any matches that like truly stood out as like, hey, random person listening to this podcast, even if you don't like New Japan or you're just not into it, you should watch this match. From night one, I would recommend... Minoru Suzuki versus Tomohiro Ishii because they are just two men beating the crap out of each other. Kota Ibushi versus Okada because those two have great matches every time they're in the ring with each other. And then from night two, which was the which was the morning of recording the podcast, there is Zack Sabre Jr. versus Evil that I would recommend, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Tetsuya Naito that I would recommend. And for those listening, a good group of us in the podcast other than Ace, have not watched any of it yet and are planning to go do so. So while we asked for you, this is also crib notes for us. I would also then I will also recommend Yano versus Sonata just because it's Yano and Yano always has fun. 
Marlon is currently Googling yeah. all of these names <laughs> as Ace is saying them. Because, I'm going through the list. When, because when I tell you we literally slept on New Japan, like, I mean it. Like, we would watch matches, like, sporadically that had, like, a Kenny Omega or, or Chris, Chris Jericho. Jericho in them. Yeah. Because Chris Jericho is one of his favorite wrestlers. So I just kind of follow him wherever. And whatever event he was on, I would just watch that entire event. And so I find out about dudes like Adam Cole before he got to the U.S. But as, when it comes to remembering names, I am no good at that. <laughs> I know Tetsuya Naito looks cool as shit with his awesome hair. I will say, if, if the only exposure that anyone has to Zack Sabre Jr. was his time in WWE's Cruiserweight Classic, he is so much better than you think he would be from that. Especially since he never, after this, I don't think he has ever been recorded saying that stupid catchphrase they gave him of Harry Potter's not the only wizard from England that you have to worry about. There's something, <laughs> something Jesus. along those lines. Wait, that was the most. Like, no, you just keep worried about J.K. Rowling at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you should say J.K. Rowling is not the only English person you have to worry about. Uh, I what we so what we did was we watched the the Kevin Kelly history of the G1 thing on the New Japan Pro Wrestling YouTube. We watched great where YouTube. where it came from. Kevin Kelly is a damn good narrator. I love that he went somewhere else and is being appreciated for his talent. But the history of G1, like, I was fascinated the entire time. And I really wish that I had started watching New Japan prior to right now. And (laughs) I'm really upset at myself. Here's why. One, New Japan is what AEW wishes it was, but it doesn't have the star power, the consistency, the credibility, or... The Gato, <laughs> the Gato the, booking. Uh, New Japan has been around for like 40 years, so... <laughs> yeah, this is experience at this point. It, it's what AEW wishes it was, and it's it's classy. And I keep comparing it to the US Open, and... It's just nice. You have this well. It's well-behaved crowds that do their dances and they enjoy it, but they're not assholes about it. It doesn't feel like an audience full of frat boys that I don't want to interact with. So pretty much every sports audience outside of the U.S. Yes, (laughs) I I'm like, wow, this is a nice audience. Like they're they're like clapping and they're sitting and they're there's no signs there's no beach balls it's it, it looks like they're actually there to enjoy themselves it reminds me a lot of what the nxt audience looks like it's an intimate setting it's not as bright or well lit and watching like some of the tokyo dome shows wrestlemania wish it was wishes it was the tokyo dome shows it really does what WrestleMania is trying to do in making these giant spectacles in football stadiums that nobody can see if they're actually there live. They're just there to say they were there. Mm-hmm. It, you, they're creating that in the Tokyo Dome with a much smaller crowd. 20,000 fewer people fit in the Tokyo Dome than in the stadium in Tampa Bay where WrestleMania was going to be this year. That's a lot of people taking up a lot of space and depriving the audience of an intimate setting yeah but if they don't keep making the u.s ones bigger wwe can't lie about having record numbers literally every year 
<laughs> what do you think the next step is after a football stadium? What could they possibly take up? All of Kentucky about? is here at WrestleMania. <laughs> I would I would imagine it would go something the way of Coachella where you have these giant fields in oh, the middle no. of nowhere and there's three stages three matches simultaneously <laughs> happening and then it all culminates on the main stage for the last two or three acts and the people that have been at the main stage all day camping have taken up all the space in the front so if you were watching the good shit on the smaller stages you're all the way in the back and can't see the main event. Stephanie is taking notes fucking feverishly right now. <laughs> Three separate stages? Uh, huh? I only accept this if there's a fourth stage. It just has like really random like folk bands. Like you just go there and there's back playing. <laughs> well, no, and New Japan um, is or, or New Japan already has Wrestle Kingdom over two nights and WrestleMania this year because of COVID was over two nights. So it wouldn't surprise me if WWE felt what Felt like if they were able to get away with it, said, oh, WrestleMania is over two nights and we're at this football stadium over in Florida. And then night two is going to be over in this football stadium in New York or California. Or they could do the Bonnaroo music festival style where they have music playing literally from five o'clock Friday night until eight o'clock sunday night Wait, it's, what it's 24 mm. hours of music so you're saying just do that with wrestling that's if they want to go what can they do bigger than that they could coachella meets bonnaroo you have people wrestling Ooh. at one two in the morning for the the insomniac crowd hi hello i'd watch it I'm i mad. i i'm up all night naturally because of who i am as a person i'm i'm down for 3 a.m wrestling I'm a little delirious because of the lack of sleep. It's perfect. I will say, too, New Japan also has their equivalent of the Raw after WrestleMania because the it, it was always on January on January 5th. Now it's on January 6th. They have a show called New Year Dash, where unlike all the rest of their shows, they do not tell you any of the card before the show. And it's essentially used to help propel the stories that to help propel the next set of stories after all the stories that ended at WrestleMania. That's really cool. Wrestle Kingdom Backlash. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have any other questions about New Japan at all? Because I am fresh out at this point. Actually, I do have one comment I want to make. And Tony, feel free to cut this one out in editing if you feel adverse to it. But I think it's worth mentioning. <laughs> so I'll give a pause here so you have a clear cut point if you need it. Okay. All right. And for any of the, you guys listening, I just want to point out something that Ace actually brought to my attention that uh, a lot of us are going to be taking advantage of. And that's that New Japan actually has a streaming service so that you can watch these matches outside of Japan without having to pirate them or watch random clips on YouTube. So if you just Google New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, subscription service, you'll find it. You can watch in your web browser. Um, so if you want to watch these matches, it's very accessible. I think Ace, correct me if I'm wrong, it's $10 a month. So even if Roughly. you just did a month to watch G1, I mean, you're getting a lot of wrestling in that month of G1 for $10. Um, but it is a way to support this. It is a way to view it uh, legitimately without a bunch of cuts and commercials, just in case anyone's interested. The, the, only, the only thing it's missing right now is due to, due to the pandemic, they do not have English commentary for the shows. And I don't know... I think I saw somewhere that some of the shows there after they're done, 
the English commentary team for New Japan is going to go in and record commentary for them. Yeah, they're going to do similar to like they were doing in the early like English commentary for Wrestle Kingdom shows where the event actually happens and then they give it to JR and I forget who else was doing commentary then it where they just recorded commentary from their houses. Yeah. And New Japan's English commentary team usually consists of Kevin Kelly and a guy named Chris Charlton. And they may be the best commentary team in the world, in my opinion. I love Kevin Kelly's, like, narration for the New Japan Pro Wrestling, pretty much History Channel side. It It's, I love the way he speaks. I love how articulate his points are. I love how concise he is. I'm long-winded as crap, so I like when people aren't. <laughs> the, the only thing about Kevin Kelly I don't like is I picked up on a on how he on how he announces finishers, and since then I can't unhear it, and it's cool, and it it does get on my nerves a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, how did you pronounce them? That we are not sponsored at all by New Japan. We're not sponsored by anyone. It's why we use licensed music at the beginning of our episodes. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have the pause in case we felt we need to cut it, but I felt that, you know, it was worth people knowing if they had the chance. Yeah, no, it's definitely something to use. I'm going to keep it in. How Kevin Kelly announces finishers is Tetsuya Naito's finisher is called Destino, and every time he goes to hit it, it's Destino! Super elongated. So he announces the finishers like it's in a shoujin anime? Yeah, he (laughs) But he does it for everything. He does it for the Destino. He does it for the Rainmaker. He does it for... He I used to do it that. for the One-Winged Angel. He. Oh, no, I noticed that in the clips we were watching. I the <laughs> Rainmaker! Yeah, he, he elongates it. He does the, the Michael Cole thing, the extra yeah. emphasis when it's real. And then, God forbid, <laughs> somebody kick out of the Destino before he actually finishes saying Destino, and he has to put all that extra emphasis on the no because it didn't end the match. he's counting on that at that point that's amazing bring back kevin kelly i i kind of want to grow to love to hate that i'm looking forward to loving to hate that kevin kelly and michael cole on the announce team want to bring back the attitude ever bring back those two dweebs and put them at an (laughs) announcer table and the, the cool thing too with with chris charlton being his partner on there is chris charlton speaks fluent japanese so he can, so he will live translate. Like if, if someone's saying something in Japanese in the ring, he will live be able to live translate what they're saying. That's a rad. Awesome. So, well then, I think this has been. We want to do a good, good round of best thing in wrestling for the week. Or sure, do you want to start or end? Since you're, uh, I'll end since I'm hosting. I'll go ahead and throw it to Tony. What's your best thing in wrestling this week? It is, so Al Snow has a new book out, and I sadly have not read the book, and I haven't listened to it yet, but I have heard some crib notes on it, and one of these crib notes includes a lengthy story about how Al Snow, who is legitimately friends with both Steve Blackman and Ken Shamrock, had two separate stories. One was a story where... JBL was constantly bullying Steve Blackman. I don't know why I would be afraid of Steve Blackman, but 
at some point, Steve Blackman just got sick of it and beat the shit out of JBL in an airport baggage claim. <laughs> Uh, things things I wish I could do and not go to jail for 500 Alex beat the shit out of JBL at an airport baggage claim <laughs> but the other story was apparently when Blackman and Ken Shamrock were having contract disputes they were trying to or they were talking about hatching a plan where in an upcoming match that they would be having against Vince McMahon in the corporate ministry they would shoot on them, just turn it into a legitimate fight, beat the crap out of them, and go to WCW, since Raw was live, and they'd be able to do that. Al Snow unfortunately talked them out of that. Oh, what a shame. I mean, yeah, that's great. He probably kept them from, like, going to jail, um, or Vince McMahon suing them. So, which is probably worse than going to jail, let's be honest My here. brain honestly thought you were going to say going to jail or Vince McMahon's basement. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was going to have questions, and I'm glad it didn't go that direction. <laughs> Although, it wouldn't surprise me if Vince McMahon's basement was just, like, people who wronged him in some way, just, like, nailed to the wall, slowly dying. I'm not sure his basement's big enough for all of them. See, if he did that to everyone who wronged him, then Jeff Jarrett wouldn't have been able to start up TNA. Or Global Force Gold. What? Uh, I, I have a theory about that. Jeff Jarrett's in the Hall of Fame now. Has Have we checked on him since? Was that like was that Vince's lure to bring him back in and then get him in the basement? Like, here's this wonderful dinner. Ooh, what's this crazy purple knockout gas? And then we don't see Jeff Jarrett ever again. <laughs> Turns out that uh, the whole Body World's art display is actually just people who have pissed Vince McMahon off over the years. He's been slowly encasing them in those bronze statues that they've been making. <laughs> <laughs> the Hall of Fame is just Vince's basement. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, Andy, what's your best thing in wrestling this week? All right, well, I'm going to paint myself as a bit of a mark here and say it's the fact that Daniel Cormier has been talking with WWE about coming on as an announcer. Uh, I am really interested in them bringing on some former UFC talent into an announcer role. I think that they could provide a fresh new perspective on how to do the announcing. And frankly, at this point, I think WWE announcing really needs some fresh blood. Uh, I like Cormier as a fighter. I hope he could do well as an announcer, though I have no reason to believe know his skill level in that. But at least I'm excited to hear about it. Nice, nice. I, I don't know who that is, but I am excited because I don't really pay attention to UFC unless it's somebody I like. And there's so few people I like in UFC that I don't really pay attention. Um, so I'm excited for potentially outside commentary. That has me excited. So that's cool. So put it in this way, he's a former US Olympic wrestler. Nice. Okay, I'm I'm on board. My so ben? you can think of him going as the Lesnar route effectively, except for he doesn't want to wrestle, he wants to announce. That's amazing. I'm excited. I, I hope he has more charisma than Brock Lesnar. Wouldn't take much. <laughs> <laughs> my my best thing in wrestling this week yesterday was the five-year anniversary of Bianca Belair's second tryout for NXT WWE. Um, and she made her own gear. Prior to WWE, she did CrossFit. 
And they, she announced that they're in honor of her five-year anniversary. They're making ring gear for her based on her own design. So all of the designs that she had in her CrossFit gear are going to be incorporated into ring gear. And I'm really excited about that because she's really proud of her design work. And I'm excited for her to be showcased in that light as well. See, that's pretty awesome for me. It's just more in-ring stuff as I have two. (laughs) One being, you know, New Bay Jordan Grace. New Bay Jordan Grace versus I don't know who this is. I think it's Kylie Ray. And Kylie Ray tries to do a spin kick, but Jordan Grace catches it, forces Kylie Ray into a split. And then Kylie Ray's like, nah, you ain't got shit on me. So Jordan Grace just do a split as well. Can't, and then just slaps her in her stupid face. And that's enough to make my week. And I have that going on in the indie world. And Alexa Bliss going full-blown fiend mode in WWE with uh, Sister Abigail on Lacey Evans. On Lacey Evans, and doing this whole trance-like expression and going off into the back. I expect I expect some weird Rosemary's Baby shit going on, and I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, that's me in wrestling this week. Nice. And for me, the best thing in wrestling is even though it was the G1 that st- that started this week. I think the thing that made that made me the happiest this week in wrestling. AEW has signed Will Hobbs and they are giving him some spotlight and I I'm very happy for that man. When did oh, that happen? I missed that. He, they announced it, I want to say Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. Yeah, they announced it I think Wednesday afternoon just before Dynamite and then he was put into the into the Moxley team slash possible Moxley fac- faction um later on dynamite and it did make me chuckle that they have been putting over that he's a hard work how hard of a worker he is and how gifted of an athlete he is and then on the main show when john moxley gets his first chance to tell us something about will hobbs he describes him as oakland's most violent despite the fact that he has never been put over any other way on AEW television as being overly violent so fun fact i i tried googling this real quick um, and Will Hobbs apparently has no Wikipedia page, and even his pro wrestling fandom page is almost completely blank, which is very surprising. <laughs> good, so we know good nothing about him. Possibly some homegrown talent, then. So I think he is the first one, the first one of those like dark AW dark enhancement talent that they've brought in that they've actually fully signed. All right, so I guess that'll do it for us here today. And I guess, as we say, if you can book it better, book it yourself. Perfect. So, yay! Snap your fingers and everything. Good job, Ace. That was good. Yeah, it was good. Thank you for listening to this preview of the G1. This podcast was edited by me, Tony. Joey took another week off, and he will be back next week for our wrestling RPG. He will be playing a manager known as the Freedom Gremlin. The Freedom Gremlin. 
Anyway, our podcast artwork is by our very own Marlon and Lily Hawk Inc., who you can follow on Instagram at Lily Hawk Inc. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantasy Bookers. We also will be having a companion bonus episode where we talk for 30 to 45 minutes about kind of our impressions of the G1. We all got New Japan accounts. We took a look at it, and I liked it. I kind of come off a little bit more of the more of the criticizer in the episode, but I wanted to make sure that we got, you know, all aspects out. So anyway, we will see you next week or whenever that bonus episode comes out. Either way, it's goodbye from me.